You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I haven't had much to say about the Democratic primary here at the top of the show, except, of course, to say that I am blue no matter who. And please wake me, wake me from this nightmare when we have a nominee. I will write that woman a check or man, could be a man. I'll write that man a check. I'll put up a yard sign. I'll implore my readers and listeners to do the same. And while I did donate a little money to Mayor Pete early on, very little money, that was back at the start of the race, back when Pete was the radical, or at least he floated one pretty radical proposal. Remake and retake our stolen, now thoroughly corrupted Supreme Court. I wanted to see him on the debate stage make the case for adding justices to the Supreme Court. So I made a donation. I've been less impressed with Pete since. And man, that small town mongering was the last straw. If I may digress, and there's always a risk I will, it's my show, I digress a lot. Shortly before the Iowa caucuses, which Pete may or may not have won, who knows, Pete tweeted, we need a president whose values were shaped by the American heartland. Do we? Really? The same heartland that gave us Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell as Senate Majority Leader, the same heartland that rejects choice and climate science and the contributions of immigrants, that heartland? You know, 80% of Americans live in urban areas. Cities, the land where the actual hearts of most actual Americans actually reside. If the Democrats ran, organized and ran, as the party of urban America, if the Democrats fought to turn out voters in cities big and small and blue states and red states, we might actually start winning elections around here. Because remember, kids, there is no such thing as a blue state. They are all red by acreage and surface area red. It's just the cities in some states are big enough, blue enough, and motivated enough to vote. And when cities turn out to vote in the face of GOP voter suppression efforts, we win Senate seats and electoral college majorities. But that's not what I wanted to complain about at the top of this week's show. I wanted to complain about or make a suggestion about, perhaps too late with the suggestion, but still I wanted to make a suggestion about how to talk to voters about Medicare for all, ending private insurance and replacing it with a government-run program. That is the radical proposal. Expanding on the system we already have, that is the moderate position. Our healthcare system is a disaster. Think of it as a burning building. Radical Dems want us to run from that burning building. Moderate Dems want us to move to the living room from the dining room and wait out the fire. And Republicans, of course, want to lock us all inside and pour gasoline on the roof. We need to get out of that building. We need radical change. But people, a.k.a. voters, a.k.a. not always the brightest bunch, are easily spooked by radical change. And talking about doing away with private insurance and employer-provided insurance is going to scare a lot of voters. And it's probably a non-starter in the Senate, even if the Democrats retake it, which is why AOC sees compromise coming, compromise on the horizon, even if Bernie wins. The worst-case scenario, AOC told HuffPo, we compromise deeply and we end up getting a public option. Is that a nightmare? I don't think so. You know what, AOC? I don't think so either. And here's what a Dem, any Dem running for president could and should say, and sorry I'm late with this, something Dems could and should say to bring along the radicals without scaring off the moderates. I, your president, 
if you elect me president, I am not going to end private health insurance. I'm not going to pretend that I could end private health insurance. You're going to end it. The American people are going to end it if that's what you want. Not by picking a particular candidate in this primary, but by electing a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House. Democrats, any one of the Democrats running for president and a Democratic-controlled Congress will work together to create a robust public option, Obamacare's missing piece. And then Americans can vote with their feet. Americans who want Medicare, which is pretty popular with those Americans who already have it, can get the public option. But Americans who like their private plans, you can keep them. But we're going to let you in on a little secret. Private plans are good in theory, but people who've actually had to interact with their insurance companies, people who've gotten sick and had to fight their insurers for the care they or their loved ones needed, they hate their private insurance and they can't wait to get on the public option. And campaign speechifying. If the public option is better, if it's more comprehensive, if it's less complicated, Americans will switch to it. And then who ends private health insurance in America? Not a Democratic president, not a Democratic Congress. The American people will end private health insurance. That's probably what Elizabeth Warren should have said instead of releasing a plan to pay for Medicare for all, instead of getting rope-a-doped by the political press and Bernie Sanders, whose highest profile backer, AOC, now admits that Warren was right. What Warren was forced to admit months ago is most likely true. Universal coverage, if we get it, is going to come in stages, not overnight. A public option first, and then one day, Medicare for all. Okay, coming up on today's show, my hometown newspaper, Seattle's only newspaper, The Stranger, has a pot columnist because, of course, we do. His name is Lester Black, and he joins me on the show to answer some of your weed-related questions. Lester joins us for a little bit on the micro, the free edition of the Savage Lovecast, and he sticks around for a whole lot of the magnum edition, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, no ads, more guests, all that coming up today. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Everlane, luxury basic clothing and accessories made at ethical factories without those retail markups. For free shipping and to support the Lovecast, go to everlane.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Harry's. They make the best razors you will ever shave with. Head to harrys.com slash savage for $5 off a trial set. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis pansexual woman in the UK. I'm calling because I have a problem with my best friend's boyfriend. He's not an asshole, but he is very thoughtless regarding his big and small choices around her, which makes it hard for her to manage her chronic illness. Most of the time, when she speaks to me about him, it's to tell me about something selfish he's done that's going to have ramifications for her, and frankly, he doesn't impress me much in person either. They've been together for two and a half years now, but I feel like I'm just waiting for her to become uncomfortable enough to break up with him, and she's just waiting for him to be ready to move in with her, even though she's asked him to do this twice, and both times he has said no. His family are wealthy and spoiled, and his friends are ignorant and even racist. She doesn't have a great track record with choosing guys. She herself admits that she wants to be perceived as the cool girl, 
but also that she doesn't expect any guy to do more than the bare minimum for her because no guy is going to want to deal with the difficult parts of her illness. I obviously disagree, but I have to be careful how I express myself, as I have actively chosen not to date cis straight men anymore, and I sense that in some way this invalidates my opinion in her eyes. But the bottom line is that I have not seen her bloom or thrive as a result of being with this dude. I haven't seen her become a more kinder, more aware, brighter person, I've watched her become more drained, more anxious and appeasing. I've expressed my concerns before, but she has stubbornly ignored them. And I feel like the time has come to become more explicit, but I don't want to put her in a him or me situation. I'm also running the risk of her hearing this as I recently converted her to this show. But I don't know who else to ask for advice on this. And I feel stuck because I love it to bits. What are your thoughts, Dan? What do I think? I'm not sure what I think really matters. You turned your friend onto the show. You got her to start listening to the show. And then you called in with a question about her, about her relationship, about how you relate to her, about her relationship. And it seems to me that just hearing you out was the goal and not hearing me out. But I'll give my two cents. Lots of people have friends whose partners they don't think – are good for them. And you can speak your piece. You can tell your friend how you feel that you don't think it's a great relationship, but if the relationship isn't abusive and you can't really justify some sort of screaming, yelling, crockery, smashing, figuratively, not literally intervention, then you just have to wait it out. Let your friend work it out for herself that this isn't a great relationship, that this guy is a spoiled and selfish asshole and she isn't thriving in this relationship. She knows that's how you feel. She knows that's your read on the situation because she just heard you say all that and probably not for the first time. So you've said all that in the past and now you've said it on my show in a venue where she'd hear it again. And if she chooses to stay in this relationship despite your feelings about it and what might be a completely accurate read on your part that has nothing to do with your bias against cis straight men. You, you could argue that if this person was a rich and spoiled asshole with a bunch of racist friends and they were trans and queer, you wouldn't like him any better. And I think that would be true. But if she chooses to stay with him, she's an adult. She gets to make her own choices. If she is indeed, and if she's listening, if you are indeed choosing to stay with this person who isn't very good to you or kind to you because you have a chronic illness and you feel you can do no better and you can't ask more of a partner than you get from this person who isn't giving you much, well, that's a shitty reason to stay with someone. And if the person that you're with and staying with for those reasons is a shitty person and they realize that you are staying with them because you feel you can do no better, they will weaponize that. They will use that against you. That's a kind of leverage that a shitty person, if indeed this guy is a shitty person, will use against their partner. Because if you're staying because you can do no better, then there's literally no shitty thing they can do, no awful thing they can ask, no thing that you're entitled to or deserve that they can deny you without having to fear that you'll leave them because you've already made it clear that however shitty they are, you're staying. All right. That's my two cents. But again, I don't think you caller were after my two cents. I think you wanted to share yours again and in a new venue. And on the off chance that this is as bad a relationship as you say that it is, 
I was happy to let you do that. Dan, can you please clear up some for me with regard to women? I know I'm asking you, a gay man, this question, and maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but I figure you have enough experience accumulated over the years that you would be able to help me with this. So I'm a straight male, uh, and I was just dating this girl, and this isn't the first time something like this happened, but essentially it ended, and one of the main reasons was that she wasn't ready for a relationship because she had gotten out of one not too long ago. Now, as a man, I mean, okay, certainly I can get out of a relationship. Okay, that's rough. But if like J-Lo walks up, I'm, I'm going to be like, okay, you know, let's put that shit aside and let's get it, get it, get it tight. You know what I mean? So <laughs> when it comes to, to women, I mean, let's say I'm like Brad Pitt walking up. Are you, is, suddenly are these, this uh, situation where you're getting over the relationship, does that evaporate too? Or is this legitimate? I don't know, because I just feel like, so yeah, certainly we get out of relationships and it can be tough. But if we then go on to meet someone else who's great, are we really going to sacrifice that person? Because we feel like we have, we're not ready. Like, I, I just feel, I don't know, especially as a man, like I, I feel like I've been out, like even with this relationship, I just get out of this one and I feel like I'm recovering from it. But at the same time, if someone's like totally awesome, hot, like checks all the boxes, Again, maybe this, sorry, this is my ego talking as if like this is, this is me. I'm assuming I do all this for this woman. Clearly, I probably didn't. And nonetheless, please clear this up. Is this a re, is this actually true, or is this just like her? Do, do women just say this to like, I don't know, as like a way to get out of it, like one of those like, oh, it's not you, it's me kind of things. Like, what what is going on here? Because I was dating this girl, and it seemed like everything was great, and we did I did all everything was awesome, and so uh, I don't know. I'm not ready for a relationship right now. It is a lie, almost always a lie. And it is a perfectly legitimate lie. It is a face-saving, ego-sparing, little white lie. And what the person is saying, almost invariably, and it's not just straight women who say this to straight men. Gay men say this to each other. Straight men say this to straight women. What that person is saying is... To borrow your language, yeah, you don't check enough boxes for me and I'm looking around, I'm casting around for an excuse to exit this relationship that doesn't do you too much emotional trauma or damage. Like what if instead of people saying, I'm not ready for a relationship right now or I need to focus on work or school or it's just not the right time or I'm moving away and I don't want to do the long distance thing. What if someone sat down with an itemized list from their subjective perspective of your faults, flaws, and shortcomings that disqualified you from consideration. That would be terrible. Wouldn't you rather have, I'm not ready for a relationship right now, even though you kind of know it's a lie because it's a compassionate lie. It comes from a place of concern for your feelings and consideration for leaving you in decent enough shape, not shredding you on the way out so that you are incapable of moving on and dating anyone else or trusting anyone else. Because if that person sat down and walked you through your flaws and shortcomings, you would be so self-conscious about those that you might find yourself dating someone who doesn't consider the things on that person's list to be flaws or shortcomings at all. They don't even notice them or they're irrelevant or they're actually perks in that person's eyes. But you would be so desperately insecure and worried about X, Y, and Z, whatever X, Y, and Z was on that previous person who dumped you's list that you would end up sabotaging or undermining 
all your future relationships. You know, we should engage in a little bit of self-scrutiny when a relationship ends for the, it's not you, it's me. I'm not ready for a relationship right now. I need to focus on work and school at the moment. I don't want to do the long distance thing. We need to like scrutinize our own behavior and our own actions and make sure that there isn't something that we're doing again and again and again that's driving people away. But after scrutinizing our, our own behaviors, after maybe kicking it around with friends who hung out with us together as a couple when we were still together, you determined that it was just – you weren't right for them in their opinion for reasons that they didn't itemize. Just move the fuck on. And yeah, someone might say I'm not ready for a relationship right now to you and then meet Brad Pitt and be ready for a relationship suddenly because it was a lie when they said it to you. And it was a lie that you want to hear. You don't get to be angry about hearing that lie. What you need to hear when someone says that is, we are not compatible. I have determined I don't want to waste any more of your time. I'm going to release you so you can go out into the world and find somebody who wants to be with you. And I'm going to release you from this relationship in a condition that you're not destroyed or at a disadvantage moving into your next relationship. Because even though I don't want to be with you, I care about you. That's where I'm not ready for a relationship right now comes from. And you should be grateful when you hear that. Not angry. If you're like me, you just love shopping for Dolce & Gabbana, Givenchy, Yves Saint Laurent. You just love lurking on Rodeo Drive. Actually, if you're like me, you don't like any of that. But if you're like me, you are looking for honest, modern basics. And if those are what you're looking for, look no further than Everlane. They make sturdy, simple, good-looking clothes, all using the finest materials without traditional markups. Everlane wants you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs, and they are radically transparent about every step in their process. From the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with, no matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. So essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be, versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. They have a beautiful selection of 100% grade A cashmere. I love their premier Japanese denim. I'm actually wearing a pair of their denim jeans right now. Their re-wool jackets are made from premium recycled wool and they look amazing. Check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash savage. Plus you will get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash savage, everlane.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old female living in the Pacific Northwest. I've had a lot of serious boyfriends. I've never met someone that I considered having a future with until now. I think he's A1. Uh, I'm crying and emotional and upset because I'm terrified that we won't be a good match because we come from such different worlds. And what I mean by that is uh, I grew up in I don't know, uh, a privileged and like liberal, sensitive, politically correct family with friends who followed suit. And I think the culture that he comes from is just different. So when uh, he's with his friends, he's he's still funny, but his sense of humor is uh, vulgar and offensive. And I don't want to judge him and I don't want to police him or have a stick up my ass. I just, I don't know if I'm being an idiot by 
imagining a life with someone who um, might raise kids to be the same way. And we've tried having conversations about it. And I think I'm just not going to hang out with him and his friends. But I don't know. What what would you do? How do you lovingly either help someone to become more sensitive or should I lighten up or um, I don't know. You can tell someone you don't want to judge them. You don't want to police them. Then follow that up with, and I don't want to be with you either because you say shitty racist things or the person you are when you're around your friends, you're different and repulsive and hateful and unappealing. And it's drying up my pussy to see you interacting with your friends. And then your boyfriend who may never have critically examined his attitudes or his rapport with his friends or taken a cold, hard look at his sense of humor and how it impacts others may be inspired to do so by your judgment, by the fact that you judged him and found him lacking in the potential future partner department. That's often what pulls people up short. You know, we were raised in certain parts of the country, we're raised in certain families or certain faith traditions, and we just accept what we were told as kids, what was normative in our communities. And sometimes our communities are really deeply shitty. And then we get out there in the world and we meet people who are from different backgrounds, different faith traditions, different communities. And the process of unlearning a lot of the shit that we were fed as children and uncritically just took on often involves the cognitive dissonance of liking someone and that person not liking the shit that's coming out of our mouths or the presumed or the attitudes that we hold that we've never had challenged or challenged ourselves. And that can inspire us to think about race, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, politics, whatever, a little more deeply and a little more critically. And it's a necessary part of growing up. And for a lot of people from shitty backgrounds with shitty friends and shitty families and shitty megachurches in their past, it's critical to be challenged like that, to be judged like that, to have their veil pierced and to have to rethink. And sometimes the stakes are I'm attracted to and in love with this person and they are going to leave me because of this stupid fucking red hat with Make America Great Again on it. And I'm going to have to now pick between this stupid red hat or this person that I love and resolve the cognitive dissonance there, hopefully in the favor of the person that I love. Not a great position to be in. I, you know, I, I can hear the pain in your voice, but you would be doing him no favors but you would be doing him potentially an enormous favor by telling him that you have no interest in judging him or policing him. But so long as he says and believes the things that he says and believes when he's around his friends or his family, you have no interest in dating him either. What if there was a 50% off sale happening every time you went shopping for razors? Shaving with Harry's is kind of like that. They offer premium blades with refills as low as $2 each. That's up to 55% off compared to the price of Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. And Harry's wants to offer you even more savings. New customers get $5 off a Harry's trial set when you go to harrys.com slash savage. Harry's believes everyone deserves quality shaving supplies at a fair price so they don't inflate blade prices or add unnecessary features to their razors like flex balls or heated handles. 
And how do they do it? How do they sell razors to you at so much less? Well, Harry's team combined a simple ergonomic design with five sharp blades. They source their steel from Sweden and manufacture their blades in their world-class factory in Germany and cut out the middleman and ship directly to you, saving you money and time. And you can feel good about your purchase. There's a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they will give you a full refund. And 1% of proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for veterans. Harry's has an amazing offer for listeners of my show. New customers get $5 off a trial set at harrys.com slash savage. You'll get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel with aloe, and a travel cover. Join the millions of guys who are already saving money and go to harrys.com slash savage to claim your offer. Hey, Dan. 21-year-old, soon to be 22-year-old bisexual male here in need of your advice. So... When I was 20, I met this man who was 23. For three months, we were in a friends with benefits type situation. And after those three months, we were in a relationship for nine months, eight months, uh, kind of around that. And within that time, I noticed a lot of red flags within him. First of all, he would like he is really hateful and homophobic towards feminine guys, which is like. I, I don't understand why and but like when we were the only guy or we were the only person in the room he would be really feminine with me like when I would flirt with him he would act in a really feminine way when we had sex he was always the bottom and he would moan in a really feminine way which I don't have any problem with but I thought that was really hypocritical of him secondly he would hide slash lie about a lot of stuff like where he was where he went for how many days he's going somewhere or something thirdly well this is what broke our relationship is that he cheated on me like a week before our breakup i came to know that he had been cheating on me for about past two three months uh with two three guys or possibly more i don't know but yeah when i confronted him about it he told me he confirmed that he was cheating on me and he told me and I quote here this is what he exactly told me I can find 10 other guys like you with one message I can have 10 20 people lined up in front of my house to have sex with me and I don't know that broke me somehow or whatever but after that after he told me that I had sex with him I had sex with him and that was probably the best sex I had with him because like I fucking did not care about anything at that moment. I was spanking him, I was choking him and he didn't even say no. He clearly enjoyed all of that but anyway, it's been eight months after our breakup, eight months, seven months after our breakup and I'm still not over him. So my question is how do I get over him? And second of all, how do I not fall for douchebag guys like this again in my life? I also have a third thing, which is like I was introduced to domination and things like that. Because I I used to have vanilla sex before I had sex with him. But he was a submissive bottom and I like learned how to be a dominant top with him and stuff like that. And I do really enjoy that. 
but I don't feel comfortable doing this with other people. I don't know why. Like even with him, it took me a lot of time to actually get into that role of dominance. And yeah, so I don't feel comfortable doing it with other people like on the first date or second date or like on the first time you're having sex, second time you're having sex. So yeah, like any tips on that? How to be, you know, more comfortable doing it? We often talk, sometimes we even point and laugh at people who are publicly sort of baroquely outrageously homophobic when they tumble out of the closet and it turns out that they've been having a lot of gay sex with male escorts. Not that there's anything wrong with that unless you are a politician who rails against <laughs> rails against rails into gay people and you're a hypocrite. And it's often the case that someone who's very publicly homophobic is privately homo and Similarly, in this case, your publicly, your ex, who is very publicly, very anti-femme, very femme-phobic, making fun of and disparaging guys who were effeminate in private, he was feminine and he hated himself for it. And so he hated other guys that he saw who were femme and he externalized that internal conflict and took it out on other people in the same way that homophobic political bullies take it out on gay people. They hate themselves and they're externalizing that internal conflict. Well, what to do? That, 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 that's not your question. That's just my take on your asshole ex. How do you get over him? Well, you continue to work through the anger. What he did to you was terrible. It's only been eight months. Sometimes it takes about as long as you were in a relationship to get over a relationship. And as they say, the quickest way to get over someone is to get under someone else. Or if you're a top, get on top of someone else. Not that you can't fuck somebody from underneath them, but you know what I mean. As for avoiding falling in love with douchebag guys in the future, there's really not a lot you can do. Douchebags are probably, you're 21 years old, there are probably more douchebags in your future. The trick is learning to show the douchebags the door more quickly once you realize they're douchebags. This guy, when he was, you know, attacking other gay men for being effeminate and then being very feminine in private with you, that was when you probably should have shown him the door. That was when he revealed to you flaws in his character and his judgment that wouldn't just manifest in that area, that it would spill out into other areas. That this shitty person who's doing and saying a shitty thing was probably then, therefore, by inference, capable of doing and saying other shitty things. You know, like cheating on you. Like telling you, when you found out that he was cheating on you, that he could easily replace you with one add-on grinder, have ten guys lined up outside the door. You wouldn't have been in this relationship long enough for him to say these shitty things to you and do this kind of lasting damage to your ego that he appears to have done if after he revealed himself early in the relationship to be a mess with this femme-phobic shit when he's femme in private, if you'd shown him the door then. As for the dom-sub stuff, you need to detach that from your experience with this guy. You enjoy being the dominant partner in bed. There are healthy, sane, non-asshole, non-conflicted, non-messy guys out there who enjoy having a dominant partner in bed, who enjoy playing the submissive role. And the trick is to find those guys. You know, you don't want to bust out your fucking the shit out of somebody and slapping their ass and calling them names moves. You know, the first time you're getting together sexually, if it's tentative, if you didn't lead with that on the dating app that, that, that brought you together, that's something you're going to want to maybe roll out slowly as you build 
a more honest and, and a stronger sexual connection with a, a new partner. But it's nothing you have to feel conflicted about. Just because you're 21 years old, your first experience with this kind of fucking, with you being the dominant top, you associate it with this guy and you're then turning around and wondering if there's something then suspect about it or tainted about it or pathological about it. No, there isn't. You had a kind of sex you enjoyed by coincidence with somebody who turned out not to deserve you sexually or at all in any way. And you can have that exact same kind of sex with a better and more loving and healthier partner in the future. And that will snip the association that Dom Subsex has for you right now with your shitty ex. Get out there, date better guys, find better guys, roll the kind of sex out that you enjoy having with a guy that you feel better about and safer with and can trust. And you will feel better about that sex, whether it's perfectly vanilla side by side or you're the dom top pounding away on them and slapping their ass. Anybody out there having trouble getting to sleep? I am right there with you, but getting to sleep got a lot easier after I began sleeping on a Helix mattress. Helix has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or really firm, if you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach, or you sleep really hot, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique tastes. You don't need to take their word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix also actually designed their mattress with sex in mind. All of their mattresses are hybrids, meaning they have both foam and springs in them, unlike many other companies. And having springs in your mattress rather than just foam keeps you from sinking in too much and gives you the perfect amount of bounce you're going to need to get your bounce on. Their high-quality springs are incredibly quiet and won't sag even during your most enthusiastic, energetic, athletic, non-sleeping activities. Helix mattresses also have strong edge support thanks to their reinforced coil perimeter. This keeps things stable so you never have to worry about rolling off the bed no matter what you're doing on it. Terry and I took the quiz and were matched with the Midnight Lux Helix mattress because we wanted something that felt firm. And when we do sleep, we tend to move around all night and we needed that coil perimeter. That really helped us. We've been sleeping on our new Helix for weeks and we both love it. So you too should go to helix.com slash savage, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life and the support you need when you're on your mattress but not asleep. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I promise you, you will love it. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash savage. So if you're in the market for a mattress, go to Helix. You can get one. It's a great one. And you can show your support for the Lovecast by going to helixsleep.com slash savage. That's helixsleep.com slash savage for up to $200 off. Hi, Dan. So I married my amazing husband a few months ago, and everything is really good. We have a super healthy relationship. We have good communication. But we have this one ongoing issue that we're trying to resolve. He loves to smoke weed. It brings him joy. It relaxes him. And he likes how it frees his mind. And I get that. And I don't have anything against weed use in general. And I even myself 
take an edible once in a while just to go to sleep or relax. But the problem I'm having is that when my husband is high, he becomes slow. I can't have a normal conversation with him because his mind is just somewhere else. I find this super annoying, and it's also a turnoff to see him like that. I'm very attracted to intelligence, and seeing this dumbed-down version of him frustrates me. I try to be patient with him, but it's hard. We've tried different solutions, and at first, I, I told him I'm willing to deal with it a couple times a week, so we got on this token system, but he felt um, restrained by it. And also it made him smoke way more than usual during those two nights, since he knew that it, he would be limited during the other five days. Then I had a miscarriage, and I think to make me feel better, he volunteered to go on a cleanse and to not smoke for a while. We didn't have a defined end date for the cleanse, and he made it to two months without issues. But then he hit that two-month mark, and all of a sudden he was beaming for it like an addict. I mean, he had a temper tantrum and nothing would make him feel better. So this past Friday, he smoked and you know, I just stayed away and he hung out with the boys and it was fine. Then Sunday, he smoked again and uh, we watched a movie and it was fine. And then last night on Monday, he smoked again. And, you know, we were trying to work out New Year's plans. We were doing other life stuff and he just wasn't with it. So I was annoyed. So basically, it seems like if we need to talk about something while he's high, I get annoyed. And again, I try to be patient and practice kindness, but I find it difficult. And then he feels judged in turn. Uh, we've been talking about all of this a lot, and we haven't been able to come up with a great solution. Ultimately, it's a price of admission that I'm willing to pay to be with him. But at the same time, it's affecting our relationship. And, you know, so if we could come up with a compromise that works, I think we would both be happier. Joining me to help tackle this question, Lester Black, stranger staff writer and pot columnist. He's also written about pot for Rolling Stone, 538, High Times and other publications. Hey, Lester, thank you for coming in. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. So pot, is it something like kids, religion, basic sexual compatibility? You want to be on the same page about it? Before you get married, not after? That sounds like a good idea. It sounds like this caller is running into a problem that she should have seen before she got this marriage. We're assuming it was an arranged marriage and they didn't meet three months ago on the day of their wedding. One could assume, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, pot doesn't change you into some mutation in a different person. It's just showing a different side of her husband uh, that she appears to kind of detest. <laughs> the slow, stupid, lethargic side. The log stupid side, the pot addled side. Right, right. So I don't know. I, I think it's, a, it's, it's a, a, a real warning sign in this marriage. If three months in, you're already having such problems she with your husband. It might be a price of admission she's willing to pay. But uh, that concept, as I have sort of conceived of it and unpacked it and detailed it here, you know, when you pay the price of admission, then you stop complaining about it. Like you don't pay the price of admission and then continue to try to assert control. Like if the price of admission you're willing to pay is they can't pick up a dirty sock and throw it in a hamper, so I'm just going to do it, you don't get to complain about the dirty socks anymore. Like that's the price right. of admission. You, you, you put away the guilt once you get, you know, pay the price of admission. That's what makes sense. Right. Uh, so if him being like dumb and on the couch once or twice a week is the price of admission you're willing to pay, then let him be dumb and on the couch and don't call me. 
That sounds right. Um, I, I would say, I would but say, we yeah. both have pro pot biases, right? We do, and and I would say, you know, it, there are some things they can try. I think this idea that you're only going to smoke pot once a week and then the other six days are mine is a bad idea. I think what a better idea is to look more at what kind of pot you're smoking. Maybe try some different strains. You know, pot is a really diverse plant with a lot of different effects, but most of the pot Americans smoke is actually very similar. It's really high in THC. It's really high in the same set of terpenes, which are these aromatic compounds that a lot of people don't know about, but actually have a really big effect on what kind of high you get. Uh, They're really the same in terms of what Americans are smoking. Um, So I think, you know, they should really look at what kind of pot he's smoking. So he may be smoking a strain that is a two by four to the back of the head and he can find a strain that is less of a two by four to the back of the head. Right. Exactly. Just as high and provides him with as much pleasure. I think there's a lot of there, a lot of strains out there that can give him a lot of pleasure that don't have 25% THC and are loaded with one set of terpenes that really gives you couch lock and drowsy eyes and not a quick mind. Well, what's terpenes? So terpenes, these are these aromatic compounds um, like myrcene and limonene uh, that are in all plants, but they're really important in pot because they give pot its flavor and they're found chemically to affect how you get high. So uh, I would encourage them to look for strains that have um, citrus in the name and citrus in the aroma. Citrus terpenes are known chemically to really be more activating of your mind. So they make your mind kind of race. They make you get more energy and talk faster and want to talk more rather than shutting down and burying yourself into the couch. So I would look for strains that uh, I think citrus is a good idea. I think uh, looking for lower THC strains, because if he loves to smoke a lot of pot, it's nice when the pot you're smoking isn't like moonshine. So look for lower THC, higher CBD. But if you get lower THC, are you going to just smoke more pot to get as high as you would with a higher THC? You might have some of that, but I think you can often in these lower THC strains feel the effects in different ways. It's like if you really enjoy having a drink, but the only drink you have access to is... Uh, vodka or moonshine even worse, you're going to have a different effect than if maybe you have access to a 4% beer or a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. You might get these interesting effects you're looking for without also, like you said, getting hit on the back of the head with a 2 by 4 And there is perhaps a little bit of a placebo effect going on. Like I am relaxed because I smoke pot because I had a little bit of pot, that, the, that there is that ritual. You know, there's that ritual around cocktails. That, that There's that ritual around having a beer. There's that social element of it. Even when you're alone, like, you know, I'm a big tea drinker. I sometimes make fancy tea for myself at home alone. And it's a whole, like, thing. And it all doing that thing relaxes me. Um, and I, there may be some, like, social, even solo social element to the pot used for him and maybe a lesser, a less powerful strain, less of those terp. Terpenes, yeah. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I mean, rolling a joint relaxes me before I even smoke it. I'm just Mm. getting into a place where I have this ritual that is relaxing and I'm not working and I'm enjoying life. So this is a great practical suggestion. Rather than attempt to limit the numbers of times a week he gets high, no infantilizing token system where you're in control of where and when. Exactly. Experiment with different strains. Yeah, and if they live in a legal state, go talk to a bud tender about these terpenes, about the ways you can get pot without getting the same type of pot that most Americans get, which is really just, like you said, getting hit on the back of the head with a two by four. I'm a little concerned that, and this sometimes happens in, and I see this elsewhere. And I'm not saying that caller. I'm not saying this is what you did or this is what's going on in your relationship. 
But it is a thing that people sometimes do, that there's something about their partner that they don't like, that they tolerate. You know, maybe it's a friend that they don't like that they tolerate. Maybe it's a hobby that they don't like that they tolerate. Maybe it's pot use that they don't like but they tolerate. And then they get married. And then they say that stops. Then it becomes a much bigger problem because there's something subconscious going on sometimes. Sometimes it's malicious and knowing, but sometimes it's just subconscious. Well, now that we're married and you can't, you know, and the idea is it's for life and extricating yourself from this relationship would be a publicly embarrassing nightmare and a protracted legal drama. I can now edit you in a way that I couldn't edit you before we were married. And you want to guard against that. You want to make sure, caller, that is not what you're doing, that you didn't lay in wait until marriage to then begin to rip things out of your partner that you didn't like before you got married. This is part of who he was. This is who you married. Totally. Yeah. And this is part of who he is. When you smoke pot, you don't become a totally different person that is not the person you married. That's the person you married, the person who likes to smoke pot and likes to get a little bit more relaxed and a little bit dumber you know because he enjoys that that's part of the person you married and three months in, you're not going to be doing that thing that you'll be doing 25 years in which is sometimes you're home alone together you know just because he's stoned on the couch doesn't mean you have to be in the same room with him if he wants to get completely blazed and watch a movie and you don't enjoy sitting with him when he's completely fucked up on pot you're not obligated to sit next to him on the couch 24 hours a day just because you're married now you can go do something else in the house and then circle back maybe when he's not so fucked up. We're making breakfast in the morning. Yeah, sounds good to me. Lester Black, Stranger Staff writer and pot columnist. Check out his stuff at thestranger.com. Also, you can find his writing on Rolling Stone, 538, High Times, and other publications. Thank you so much. That was really fun. Let's do that again. Thanks, Dan. Let's smoke some weed. We actually had two more pot questions on deck, and we asked Lester to hang out and tackle them with me. That's in the Magnum. All right, before we get to your response calls, listener thoughts on what I could have, should have, and maybe would have said, let's read some of your tweets about the show. Chris Schmid tweets, hey, at fake Dan Savage, you and the hashtag Savage Lovecast are invaluable to me as a bartender. Now, whenever anyone asks me for relationship advice, I just tell them to listen to you. Thank you for saving me a lot of time and energy. You are welcome, Chris, and thank you for spreading the word about the show. Scott Kayser tweets, in episode 693 of the Savage Lovecast, the younger gay couple treated badly by the older gay couple sounds less about age and more about means. If you shift perspective to accumulated wealth, it seems more in line with the sense of entitlement that can accompany money. Yeah, it could be that, or it could be that some of everybody, rich, poor, old, young, gay, straight, some of everybody is or some of everybody are assholes. And since trying to predict assholery based on things like age, income, race, religion, sexuality is assholery itself, I think it's better to take people as they come, to judge them as individuals, and to give people the benefit of the doubt, of course, without disabling your bullshit detectors. And finally, Yale1983S tweets, just got myself a late birthday gift, a Magnum subscription to the Savage Lovecast, needed my fake Dan Savage fix. Thank you for subscribing, Yale, and happy birthday. Okay, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast, and now your response calls. Hey, Dan, this is in response to the woman who was uh, having the um, moral quandary revolving around um, the believe all women hashtag. I liked your response that instead of uh, just across the board believe women, we should take women seriously. I just wanted to suggest a little bit uh, of a catchier hashtag of listen to women. So I just wanted to put it out there. 
hashtag listen to women and then decide whether or not to believe them on an individual basis. This is in response to episode 695, the European guy calling in and the ex-wife being silent and cold after the divorce. Dan was kind of hard-ass, saying fairness has nothing to do with it, you can't get everything you want, chill the fuck out, but he is right. It is painful to accept, but you have no other choice, let it go, focus on the future, move on, etc. We don't know her side of the story, but I say it's okay to feel betrayed and angry. She sounds vindictive. Moving in across the street from you, flaunting another guy in front of you, there are other places she can live. Take your anger out at the gym, yell on a, on a mountaintop, but you can't direct your anger at her. It's a lost battle. You basically got hosed. Have a beer with a friend to lament the situation. Dan has good advice to move on, but you also need that best friend as well say, yeah, you deserve better after seven years. Hi, Dan. This is in response to the caller who was bored of sex in her four-year relationship, and especially the conversation that you had with Wednesday Martin related to that. Wednesday Martin said something multiple times that you did not pick up on or comment on, and that is she used the word cohabiting over and over. So here's the secret. Don't live with your boyfriend. Nothing will destroy the woman's sex drive faster than all the annoyances of living with a partner and getting used to each other and being together 24-7. I'm in a long-term relationship. I'm still very hot for my boyfriend, and I don't live with him. He suggested it, and it's not something that I want to do. That's the secret. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you have a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Or better yet, you can record your comments and questions yourself using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email them to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Please try to keep them under three minutes. This week, my Dirty Little Porn Film Festival Hump continues its spring tour in Oakland, Los Angeles, and Miami with additional stops in Long Beach and Palm Springs. Head over to humpfilmfest.com to get tickets and find out where we're headed next. Listen to me every week on Blabbermouth, the Strangers Week in Review podcast hosted by Pilots prize-winning journalist Eli Sanders. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Check out Lester Black's writing at TheStranger.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.